You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, my name's Todd. I'm an elder here at Anthem Church. I have the privilege of serving you guys in that capacity and get the privilege of being on the teaching team. Um, really excited this week. Just thank you, thank you for the privilege of studying God's Word and being able to preach. Uh, it, it is a delight, and I'm re- particularly excited this morning for... Psalm 84, so hopefully you find it there in your Bibles or in your apps. Um, but before um, I try and do a good job of preaching, I want to let you know that I'm not very impressive when it comes to drive-thrus. Um, if, you, if you like me, you'll never be less impressed with me <laughs> than if we go through a drive-thru together because I have a, a borderline panic attack <laughs> not knowing what to order. I'm just like, uh, even if the restaurant, I've been a million times. I know the dollar menu. I know, every, I know how much everything costs. I know where it is. Every time, I don't know, it sneaks up on me, even though I know it, it sneaks up on me. I have a, I have a, a, a note on my phone, it says Wendy's order, <laughs> because I can't deal. <laughs> and so, like, I can't do the math, I can't, I, so I just pull up my phone and be like, what do I order <laughs> when I go to Wendy's? And it just tells me, because I can't deal with it. And then maybe you guys are like that, maybe you're not exactly like that, hopefully not. <laughs> I don't wish that upon you. <laughs> but maybe you're like that, like, you've all had that experience standing in the cereal aisle, where you're just like... It's, just, it's like a whole aisle of cereal. And you're like, which one is going to be best? Because there's so many. You're like, what, what am I, because I know what I'm in the mood for right now, but what about later? Or like, I don't know, when I'm, when I'm halfway through, you know, a box of a, you know, peanut butter Captain Crunch and my roof on my mouth is shredded, what am I going to want to take the edge off, <laughs> you know? And so maybe you have that, but I think it all comes back to the same thing. I think you, whether it's cereal or which products you're trying to pick, it's a car, it's a house, it's a spouse, it's, you're, you're trying to figure out what's going to be best for me. What's going to be most satisfying? What do I want today? What am I going to want tomorrow? And you're trying to leverage those things against each other, and you're trying to figure out what's going to be best. So you look at all your options, you try and survey it, you want to get to know, you know, what are all my choices here, and then try and pick one what's best. And then you pick it, and then if you're like me, like we don't get to go out to eat a lot because we have six kids and stuff, so when we find a sitter and get a chance to have a date night, we go out and I'm like, this is my chance to eat out. I don't want to blow it, <laughs> you know? So like... So you order, and then you spend your whole time ordering, looking at other people's stuff, like, would my life have been better had I ordered that? (laughs) But aren't we like that, though? We spend a lot of front-end energy trying to figure out what's best, you know, on clothes, on whatever. Like, we try and figure out on the front end, and then once we pick, we spend a lot of back-end energy wondering, would my life have turned out differently? (laughs) Would my life be better? Would it be more satisfying right now had I made a different choice? And uh, we're like that uh, because God made us like that. He made us to seek satisfaction. We are satisfaction seekers. That's what we want to do. We want to fill ourselves. We want to find something that satisfies. And I think it starts with like an underlying belief. Like we, we believe it's out there. We just haven't found it yet. The problem isn't that it's not out there. It's that we haven't figured out the right combination, the right you know, chaser to, to, to make it all work. We haven't figured it out. And so we believe it's out there. I just wish I knew where. Because if it was there, I would go to it every time. If I just knew where satisfaction was. And uh, that's why I'm excited this morning for Psalm 84, because Psalm 84 is cold water for thirsty, soul, for thirsty souls. It's, it's cold water. It's, it's that. It's refreshing. It's satisfying. It's going, that, your heart's desire, Psalm 84 wants to tell you there is satisfaction. It's out there, and you can have it. You can leave this morning fully satisfied. Your thirst quenched in the one God who made you. And I think Augustine, um, a church father, um, sums this up really well. I have it on a slide. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You were made to seek rest. 
and you've searched for it in all kinds of places, and it's all that's left you is restless. You've been thirsty, surrounded by a, an ocean of salt water, and the more you drink, the thirstier you are. And you're like, what a, what a conundrum to be in, to be thirsty and surrounded by water that only makes it worse. Every place you search, it only gets worse. Every drink, just thirstier and thirstier. You were made for a reason. You were made to seek satisfaction. And the good news this morning is that you were made by a God who's ready to provide you with the very satisfaction he's placed in you. He's ready to meet you where you are. And that's the big idea this morning that I have for you. Satisfaction is found in looking to God, not to your satisfaction. If you want to be satisfied, don't chase being satisfied. You've tried that. I have. I don't know what you're chasing this morning, but you've tried it. Has it left you satisfied? It's let you down at some point. I've had a week where when you're coming to preach on satisfaction, uh, God usually uh, lets the preacher have a very personal experience of it. So everything in my life has let me down this week. (laughs) My AC stopped working. My car blew up. (laughs) The AC in the van stopped working. Everything went wrong. Because it's not God. And it will let you down. Only God satisfies. Only God doesn't billow with white plumes of smoke (laughs) on the way to connection group. My car isn't God, it turns out. It fails. It breaks. God doesn't. He never does. He never fails. And he made you to need that. But the good news this morning is is he's ready to provide you with that thing that he's put in you. And our satisfaction is found in looking to him, not to our satisfaction. So let's look at the first four verses. We'll take this in three chunks. We'll do four verses at a time. So one through four. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. First thing you need to know is satisfaction begins and ends with God. In Hebrew, this psalm actually begins with the, word, the phrase, O Lord of hosts. It actually starts there, and then the last verse actually ends there. And, and English translations, it sounds clunky, I guess, for some reason, so they switched it around. But it actually begins saying, O Lord of hosts, how lovely is your dwelling place. And then it ends by saying, blessed is the one who trusts in you, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts. So the, the whole thing is saying, bookended from beginning to end, O Lord of hosts, you are where satisfaction. Whatever the search for satisfaction is, it begins and ends with God. And that name, O Lord of hosts, it's, a, it's the name that the psalmist prefers. There's plenty of names he could have chosen, but he likes this one. Uh, it literally means like God of angel armies. You may have heard like the song, you know, like Chris Tomlin, I think, sings a song about it, which he sings a song about everything. <laughs> if you know Christian radio, like my kids are like, my favorite artist is Chris Tomlin. It's like, I think that's the only person you've ever heard. <laughs> like if you listen to Christian radio, that's all they play. Um, but he's the God of angel armies. And, and it's a, it's a, title that this psalm, when this psalm about satisfaction likes that title because it's God is the king of all battles. He wins. He has no rivals. He has no equal. If it's a battle, he wins. And, and the psalmist wants you to know like he is the source. He is the, he is the one who can defeat that desire, that, that desire for satisfaction, that yearning inside you. He can defeat it not by making it go away, but by actually satisfying it. Other places will tell you the best thing you can do is to stop wanting stuff. Right? That's the whole Eastern philosophy. It's just If you just didn't want things, you'd feel better about life. God says, no, I put those desires in you for a reason. I want you to want things, but I want you to want me first and foremost because I will satisfy those for you. And look at the language even of the psalm. He says in those first four verses, your dwelling place, your altars, your house, your praise. Satisfaction is out there, and it's in somebody else's house. 
It's out there. It's where God is. Not, don't search for it inside. Don't search for it at the supermarket. Don't search for it at the club. It's somewhere else, and it's with God. It's yours. And so the whole focus of satisfaction is elsewhere. Seek it anywhere else, and you will be dissatisfied. Seek it anywhere else, and you'll be dissatisfied. If you make power the thing that you find your purpose in, your life in, you will always feel weak. You always feel like you're not quite strong enough. Because you want to be powerful so badly that you only see the weaknesses the more you chase it. If you place it in being beautiful, you will look in the mirror and feel ugly. You'll see the flaws. If you chase beauty as your satisfaction, you will feel ugly. If you seek being important, you will feel unappreciated and overlooked. If you look for it in relationships, you will feel lonely. You will never feel more lonely than trying to find satisfaction in another human being because they will never be God to you. You will exasperate them, and you will feel empty and dissatisfied and frustrated in the process. If you chase it in feeling young, you will realize how old you are. <laughs> Some people don't realize it soon enough. They, <laughs> they do lots of uh, surgeries and stuff to try and look young. We all know you're not. <laughs> you only look worse. You don't look young. <laughs> you look more like an alien than you do like a young human person. Um, you chase it. You want to chase it in control, I just need to get my life under control. If I can just find control, just feel a sense of it's under control. If you chase it there, you will feel overwhelmed with all the stuff that's out of your control. You chase it in possessing things. If I finally just had that, then it'd be done with. You will constantly feel the need and lack of things that you don't have. Nothing else can satisfy. It's all salt water, all of it. None of it will satisfy. And God made those things that way. They're not supposed to be your God. They can't do what you want them to do. So the best thing you can do for all those things is stop asking them to be God. My car isn't God. It will let me down. And when it does, I can't be like, car, I thought you were omniscient and perfect. You never fail. You, my car never fails. It never gives up. It's like, it never runs out on me. And it did. It does, because it's not God. It won't satisfy. It will let you down. And it's God's grace to you that those things let you down. I need you to see that this morning. It's God's grace to you that those things aren't God to you. The fact that they let you down is a key that you shouldn't put all your cards on them. You shouldn't put all your hope there. They're somewhere else. There's something else. There's a reason those things don't satisfy. The best way to ruin anything is to treat it like God. You want to ruin something? Expect it to be God. Expect it to be perfect. Never let you down. Never fail. Always come through. Whether it's a thing, a person, an experience, it will let you down. Expect it to be God, and it, you will ruin it. Um, one of the cool things about being a dad is like getting uh, to read uh, back through the Chronicles of Narnia, and there's a really cool interchange that happens. And not that you have to be a dad to do that. If you're not a dad, please read the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> but part of it is you get to share it, I guess is what I should say. You get to watch other people delight in it. And there's this beautiful dialogue that takes place in the silver chair between uh, Jill and Aslan, who is like the Christ God figure of that world. Uh, for context, if you don't know, not a spoiler alert. <laughs> um, uh, the, the lion is God. <laughs> Sorry if I ruined that for you. Um, but listen to this, just listen to this dialogue. I don't have it up on the screen or anything. Just listen to this. The lion. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? W would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. 
The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now, without noticing it, she had come a step nearer to the stream. Do you eat little girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He didn't say it as though he were boasting, nor as if he were sorry, or if he was angry, he just said it. I don't think I dare come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. If you chase satisfaction anywhere else, you will be dissatisfied. My question for you this morning is, are you like Jill? Are you not dying of thirst? Are you not thirsty? Don't you feel it? Your web browser knows it. Your Amazon wish list knows it. Your friends know it. Your family knows it. Your Pinterest board knows it. You're thirsty. You're looking for something, and everybody knows it. Your web browser, everything, your bank account, your calendar, they know it. You're thirsty, and you're looking for something. So the question isn't, are you thirsty, really, right? It's, what are you drinking? How are you trying to quench that thirst this morning? How did you come in here? What have you been trying? What have you tried? You look at your resume. What have I been through? What have I tried before? What drafts have I drank from? What fountains have I gone to to try and quench that thirst? Where have I been trying to do that? And maybe that's really just a starting point for you this morning, is you need to say, like Jill, I am dying of thirst. Can we just all be honest here? I'm dying of thirst, and I have tried, and I am still thirsty. I've tried drinking from different fountains, and I am still thirsty, and I am dying of thirst this morning. And so if that's you, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm with you. What do you got for me, Todd? What's the Bible got for me? Sure, fine, I'm thirsty. We got, clear? What do you got for me? I got good news for you. Psalm 84 is good news. God didn't just make you thirsty. He made water. He didn't just make you thirsty. He made a well that springs up with water that will satisfy forever. You see, like even in uh, Jill's interaction there, it said he, he asked, are you thirsty? But the next thing he says is, then drink. If you're thirsty, then drink. It's right there. Come, you are invited. And that is the tone of this psalm this morning. You are invited this morning to drink. Come, come, drink. Be satisfied. God wants this for you. He wants it more for you than you want it for yourself. Come, be satisfied. He wants it so much so that even in the psalm, look at this verse three. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. Come, sparrows are universally the symbol of worthlessness. Like we see that in the New Testament. Jesus is like, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? They're worthless. Why would you even pay for them? They're everywhere. Some of you feel that way maybe this morning, like you've chased satisfaction somewhere. Maybe somebody down the line told you that you were damaged goods. Somebody told you something about yourself and you believed them. And you've been living your life trying to prove your worth and value to somebody who you might not even like. But just to hear them give you a thumbs up or to hear one word of affirmation would be like the thing you think is going to satisfy your soul. That per one person who you're just trying, if they just finally were impressed with me, I could be done with it and be happy. They probably won't. And if they do, it won't feel great. You'll wonder, did I manipulate it out of them? Was it sincere? Like, it'll never be enough. You'll always wonder. If you chase your worth down that road, you'll never find it. But listen, even the sparrow finds a home. Even a sparrow finds a home 
at God's altar. Even the people that the world has said are worthless, God says, find your worth here. It's yours. Come. Find your worth. Stop searching for it in other places. Swallows are the symbol of restlessness. Always flitting and flying about, never landing anywhere in particular. Just always busy. Maybe you're not trying to find your value in what somebody else thinks about you. Maybe it's yourself you're trying to impress. And if I could finally just achieve and get to and then I would finally feel rest inside myself. I'd stop feeling like I need to impress. I stop. Maybe it's being driven by your own feelings of restlessness. And like Augustine said, you will stay restless until you find your rest in God. But listen, the swallow is welcome. All of you who've been searching and frantically flitting around, looking for value and worth and purpose in life everywhere else, you are welcome this morning. Come. Come. Sparrows, swallows, worthless, restless, frantic, thirsty, Come. There's water available to you. Come and drink. If the birds are welcome, you are welcome. If God would let birds live in his temple, you are welcome. But don't miss this. See where they built their home? Close to the altar. Did you see that? Like they laid their their young close to the altar. It says in verse 3 that they lay their young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Like that's a weird piece of furniture to have in your house, right? (laughs) Like, if you come over to a connection group and there's an altar there, you're like, I'm going to a different connection group (laughs) and maybe a different town. (laughs) Like, I can't be too close to this. (laughs) This is not great. (laughs) This doesn't end well for any of us. God's house has an altar. Why? Because God so desires to forgive your sins that he provided a way to do it. He could have just left it. He didn't need to even create an altar. He could be like, you sinned, you're out, you're done. Out of Eden, good luck. Hope you find something elsewhere that at least passes the time. Hope you find something out there outside of Eden that... Does it works it for you because you're out, you're locked out. But no, he created an altar because his desire is to forgive sins. And I have that on a, a slide for you, Hebrews 9.22. God wants to forgive sin. So it's uh, in the New Testament, we find out it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God has an altar because somebody has to die. In order for sins to be forgiven, somebody has to die. But God wants to forgive your sins so badly that he didn't just make an altar, he provided the sacrifice. Look at Hebrews 10, 19. I have a slide for that as well. We have confidence to enter the holy places. We can go into the house where God is in his altar because there isn't just an altar there. There's already blood on it. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. God wants to forgive your sins so that you can come. He's like, I've done everything. I've prepared the table. I've done everything. Why won't you come? I don't know how much clearer to say it. You're thirsty? I have water. Come. It's free. Come. Why won't you come? I've done everything. I want you to come. I want you to come. I know you want to. You just, you might, you're homesick, and you might not know that's the word for it. You've been homesick your whole life looking for something, and you don't know what it's called, but that's that feeling that drives you to search for stuff. God's saying, I am your home. Come. I've done everything to make provision for you. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, he said, it is finished. The last words he ever said. That's an accounting term, which is a weird thing to yell, like to yell something from an Excel, you know, from an Excel spreadsheet as you're about to die, um, from Quicken Books or something like that. But it, it's an accounting term. It means paid in full. The way we would say that, your debt has been satisfied. God has satisfied your debt. In the search for satisfaction, God is saying, that has, bill has been paid. I am satisfied with what Jesus has done. And if you come through him, I am satisfied, and you will find the satisfaction that you have been searching for. So come. And when you do, don't take the scenic route. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. 
as they go through the Valley of Bacal, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Or Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Don't take the scenic route. Take the highway. <laughs> when it comes to God, the scenic route's what you got into this mess in the first place, right? <laughs> the, the, well, let's see what's out there. <laughs> like all the off-ramps of life is where you got derailed in the first place. So once you come, come <laughs> and take the highway. Um, be like a dad on vacation trying to get good gas mileage. You know, like no pit stops. <laughs> you know, pee in a cup. I don't care. We're going. <laughs> like we're not stopping. Be like that when it comes to this. Come and don't, don't hesitate and don't take any off-ramps. Don't take the more colorful route to it. It's right there. It's right in front of you. Go. Come to the altar. Don't get distracted. Don't, that's what got you into this mess in the first place. Because satisfaction is found in seeking God, not your satisfaction. Don't wonder, like, well, maybe there's a more fun route to get to the same place. Don't. Just come. Take the highway. Like, a highway is the most efficient way to get somewhere. It's not always pretty, but it gets you there fast. Now, when it comes to life, you know, stop and smell the roses. When it comes to your soul, take the highway. <laughs> Don't take the scenic route. It's, it's, it's not more enjoyable. And you know that from experience. You know it for a fact. It's not more enjoyable. It's salt water. It doesn't refresh. It only makes you more thirsty. So come. Don't take the scenic route and don't come alone. You see that here. Um, this is a pilgrimage psalm. Like back in the day, if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to a specific place. Because God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, but his presence was very concentrated in a place called the tabernacle. And if you were a person who worshiped God once a year, you would make a trip to go visit that temple because there was no, that tabernacle, there was nowhere closer to God than there. If that was your heart's desire, you had one place to go and it was on your heart to do that as often as you could. And so you would take everybody and there'd be caravans of people all going to one place special times of the year, where men were specifically required to go, but oftentimes their families and anybody else who wanted to, whose hearts wanted satisfaction, they would come to the well to drink because it was the one place they knew where God was more present in a, in a way than other. It was like God's address for a certain period of time. But even Solomon, when he made the temple, said, like, can this temple contain you? Like, nobody's thinks that God's trapped inside the tabernacle. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you put the tabernacle under, you know, in the basement, then God's in the basement. Like, he's not in the thing, right? He chose to be there. And if you wanted to be with him, the special thing about the temple wasn't the temple. It was that God chose to be there. So a good question uh, for this morning is, if, you're a, if your life is a caravan, what caravan are you caught up in? Where are you going? These people made it their heart's mission to go to where God is. If somebody were to hitch their wagon to you, where would they end up? Where are you pulling people? What caravan are you caught up into? What caravan are you calling people to join? If somebody said, I'm with you, I'm roll with you, where do they end up? These people, verse 7, they each one appears before God in Zion. They end up where they're going. They end up in God's presence. That's where they are going. And if you hit your wagon with them, if you join their caravan, you are in the presence of God, and you're on your way there. Is that true of you? Are, you? are you that kind of person? Are you dragging people with you? Are you inviting people along? And this uh, deal with going through the Bacha and Place of Springs, there were places on the way there that were dry. And, you know, this is like literally, you're talking about thirsty soul, souls. You live in the desert. <laughs> like, that's, that's like on your name tag. Like, I'm thirsty? Yes. I mean, I live in the desert. <laughs> like, I figure that's a given. So you're always on a quest for water. So what people would do on this caravan, this is a trip they made often, right? So they would dig holes, so that when it rained, it would catch some of the water. 
Uh, now they would probably use a big barrel or something to try and catch, you know, the rainwater or something to use. But, like, that's what they had available, so that's what they did. So when you went on caravan, you were the benefactor of people who had gone before you. You got to drink water from pools you didn't dig because somebody else left a legacy of seeking God. And so the psalm is saying, like, you, get, you are not the first to do this. You're not the first person who's ever wanted something. You're not the first person who has ever felt lonely. You're not the first person who's ever felt dissatisfied with the things of life. Turn around and look at the community of people who are on caravan on their way to God and turn to them and ask for advice. And be the kind of person who digs, digs holes so that future people can drink. Is that your legacy? Will, will people in the future find their path to God more refreshing and more delightful because you lived your life? There will be pools of refreshment on the way to the well. Like, is that your legacy? When you come, don't come alone. Don't take the scenic route. Look at Proverbs 11.25. We talked about this morning in SEC. Because here's the trick. Here's, the, here's the, the, simple, like, the simple secret that is right there in plain sight. The one who waters will himself be watered. You want your thirsty? Look to God, the well, and then start making your life about watering other people. And guess what you'll find out? Your heart is full of water. If you seek satisfaction, you will be dry and empty. If you seek God, you will be full and you will seek to fill other people. And it works the opposite way than you think. You think, well, I can't do that because if I give up my own aspirations, hopes, and dreams, who will do it for me? God will. God wants this more for you than you want it for yourself. Seek him. Seek to lead other people to it and you will find yourself watered. You will find the thing you're looking for in the opposite way that you thought you would find it. The one who waters other people will find himself watered. So come, because God is better than anything you will find anywhere else. Let's look at the last section of verses we have, 9 through 12. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. A day in God's presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. This isn't hyperbole. He's not just saying something poetic for the sake of sounding nice. He's saying literally, imagine what you could do with a thousand days. Imagine the places you could see, the food you could eat, the people you could meet. Lots of options with a thousand days. He's saying all of that will never satisfy compared to one day with the well. (laughs) One day at the source of life is better than a thousand days to do whatever, choose your own adventure with. You've tried that. Most of you are over a thousand days old. If you can hear me and you understand English, you're over a thousand days old. You realize that, right? That's like three and a half years. Or not even, that's less than three years if you do the math on it. Like, you know that a thousand days won't be enough to do it. He's being literal here. One day is actually better than a thousand elsewhere. You've stood in front of the cereal aisle, maybe like me. More options does not mean more satisfied. It only leaves you wondering what ifs. It only leaves you struggling to figure out what's best for me. Ah, there's too many options. More options does not equal a more satisfied life. Choosing God satisfies, because satisfaction is found in seeking God, not our satisfaction. If you seek him, you will find yourself satisfied. If you seek more options, because you just want to know what's out there before you make a final decision, there's no satisfaction in that. It's only regret and worry and wonder and hemming and hawing and oh and ooing. That's your life. Salt water. God's offering water, and it's better. And serving God is better than serving yourself. It's actually better. You cannot find satisfaction in seeking your own satisfaction. 
It says here, he is the source. He's the sun and shield. The sun gives light and life and warmth and energy. Your shield provides protection. He is the source of these things. We experience the sun on our skin and it feels nice. That's just a sunbeam. The sun is out there. He is the sun. We experience the goodness of the effects of that. He is the source of all goodness. Uh, like the way the other translations say, like uh, the ESV says, he bestows uh, honor and or grace, or uh, he bestows favor and honor. Uh, the other ones say he gives grace and glory. It's the same idea. It's a fine translation. But I like the alliteration because it's GGG, gives grace, glory. But it's also clear. We like those words. We know what that means. He gives grace and glory. Why? Because he owns it. He is the source. He possesses those things so he can give them, and he wants to. That's the good news. He has those things. There is satisfaction. That's the first point of good news. That thing you've been longing for, it actually exists. The second good news is he wants to give it to you. It's yours if you will just take it. You'll come and take it. And he's not holding anything good back from you. You see that in verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Look at Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God wants what's good for you. Now, this might challenge what you think good is. But remember, that's what kind of got you into this mess in the first place. You went searching down dry wells, expecting to find good things for yourself, and you only came up dry and wanting. May I submit to you that you may not know what's best for yourself, and that God might. Just a possibility, throwing it out there. He may actually know what's good for you, and this may challenge what you think is best for you. And, and part of, like, even this past week, part of God's goodness is revealing to us how unsatisfying things other than him are. The fact that my car blows up is a grace of God because it's not God and it is anxious to show me. <laughs> the fact that people let you down might be the most gracious thing God could do. The fact that God put thorns and thistles into the world might be the most gracious thing he ever did for Adam to show him, you know what, this will never satisfy you. A world where sin reigns is not satisfying. It makes your heart long for a place without thorns and thistles. And that's a good thing because there is a place, there is a better country where God exists, where he rules and reigns, and there are no thorns and thistles. There is satisfaction completely. Because look at what Paul follows up Romans 8.28 with Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How can you accuse God of withholding from you? How can you look up at heaven and be like, there's good out there that you're not giving to me, and I need it, and I want it, and you should give it to me, and I don't have what I need, the Bible says that he did not withhold his only son. How will he not give you everything that's good for you? Your good might look different than your neighbor's good. Don't worry about your neighbor. God is interested in you and wants to give you what's best for you, and he is. Is your heart this morning one that accuses God of being stingy or one that's ready to be filled with faith and say, God is generous and I have everything I need. If I needed it, he would give it to me. And if I want it and I don't have it, I can pray to him and submit my will to his, knowing that if it's good, I will get it. Maybe not now. Maybe the timing is off. Maybe it's good to have it later. Maybe it's good to never have it. But I trust God, and that's, what, that's how the psalm ends. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, O Lord of hosts. I trust you, God of my battles, God of all battles, God who never loses. I trust that you will satisfy, and I put my trust in you alone for that. Let me end on this final story that helps highlight this for you. I heard a story once. There was a little boy who had a bag full of marbles. And he loved those marbles. There was pride and joy. He loved them. And he had a little sister who had a bag full of candy. 
and she really loved her candy. And they both saw each other enjoying their various items, and they were just like, one day they were like, man, what's so great about the marbles? What's so great about the candy? Maybe we should trade. Maybe we should trade, because I can enjoy your thing, you can enjoy mine. So the, the brother and sister agree. The boy goes back to his room, grabs his bag of marbles, and he's looking at him, his precious marbles that he loves. And he sees the best ones, and he takes a couple of them, puts them under his pillow. These are the best ones. How can I part with these? These are so special to me. I've had all these good times, these good memories. They're so pretty. They're just perfect. I can't bear to part with them. Takes the rest of the bag over to his sister. Says, here's all my marbles. She takes her bag of candy. They trade. He goes back to his room. She goes back to hers. Later that night, his sister is soundly sleeping in her bed, just thinking about these marbles and how much fun they are. Can't wait to enjoy them in the morning. Marbles seem fun. My brothers seem to have fun with them. I can't wait. This is going to be such a good day. Just resting peacefully, calmly. Meanwhile, brother is up in his bed, frantic. Can't get the thought out of his head. Did she really give me all of her candy? I bet she held some of the best back. I can't believe she did that. Why? Because he's withholding. Is it possible this morning you think God's holding out on you? You speculate, you think God's holding out on you because you know for a fact you are holding out on him. You know you're holding back your best. You know it. You're like, I want to believe that you're satisfying, but I want to hold on to this because maybe it still satisfies. I want to hold on to it just in case, in case this God thing doesn't work out. Hold on to these three best marbles. Is it possible that you feel like God is withholding because you know that you are? The invitation this morning is come, stop withholding. Put, put those rest, it's not too late for the brother to come to the sister and be like, here, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I was wrong. That was a really rotten thing to do, I'm sorry. It's not too late to come. If you can hear me, come. If your soul is thirsty, there is water, come. Come this morning to God. And as we respond here at Anthem, we respond with communion. Respond in a time of receiving from him his goodness, and we trust that this is what's best for us. Nobody asked God to come die for us. Nobody had that plan in mind. Nobody was like, you know what would be best is if, hey, how about you just come and die? <laughs> I'm like, why? Nobody had that thought. Nobody thought of it. Nobody would be audacious enough to say it. But God knew what was better for us than we knew for ourselves. And he gave us something that's way more satisfying than anything we could ever do. That's what this table is. A body that was broken for you. Blood that was spilled for you. God's best for you that you had nothing to do with. You didn't ask him to. You didn't help him do it. He did it all by himself, and he's offering it to you this morning. Come. Enjoy. Enjoy bread that you didn't buy, a cup that you didn't fill. It's yours. Come. I want to show you one verse that highlights this, and then I'll pray for us. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts. This is the invitation this morning. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, even if you're broke as a joke, come, buy, and eat. With what? I'm broke. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money, it's free and without price. doesn't matter if you're broke. That's actually a prerequisite. You have to be broke. The only thing some of you don't have is nothing. The one thing you don't have is nothing, and it's the one thing you need. Just admit you have nothing and say, I'm dying of thirst here, and you can be filled. Just admit you have nothing. Come, Without money, without price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Why are you working so hard at stuff that you know only makes you more thirsty? Why are you drinking from that well again? It's salt water. It only left you more thirsty. Come. The table is yours. It's been prepared for you. Come and enjoy a feast you didn't prepare for a sacrifice you didn't make so that you can enjoy satisfaction in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing for us a well. You've left us with thirst. And it feels hard sometimes. It is hard to be thirsty. I don't like it. I don't like being hungry. I get angry when I'm hungry. Uh, there's a word for that. It's angry. Everybody experiences it. Or if it's not that, it's sleep and you get slangry or whatever it is. Lord, we, we feel that. We feel that. And it's good. It's good that we feel the ache. We don't always know what to call it, but it's homesick. We were meant for something other than what we're doing. And we don't always feel it. But sometimes by your grace, certain moments of time, you bust into our lives and you show us how insufficient the things are that we've been putting our hope in. Anything less than you will never satisfy it, and it is your grace to show us that. Thank you for your goodness to us in destroying the idols of our lives that we thought we could put all of our hope in. Thank you for knowing what's best for us, knowing better than we know it ourselves. Give us grace this morning to come, to take, to partake, to enjoy, to find ourselves satisfied, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time, maybe for the millionth time. May we find our satisfaction in you this morning. Thank you for this table, for this water that when you drink it, you are satisfied and you never thirst ever again. It quenches the, the thirst of our very souls. You've made us this way, but you haven't just made us thirsty. You've made a well, and you've offered this morning an invitation to come and drink from that well. May many this morning do that and experience satisfaction as you have promised. We do this for the name and the sake of your son, Jesus, who did everything on our behalf. For your glory, Father, amen.